The last page has been turned in my most recent read, but this week I'm not going to be talking about that. This week is going to be different because Being Bookish is 150 episodes young, and I figured that was a moment to celebrate. What does that mean, Ray? I hear you ask. Well, This week, I am going to be looking back over the last 12 months of reading and picking out my top and bottom five books. Believe me when I tell you that it really wasn't easy. And the reason I am literally recording this mere hours before release is because I changed my mind so many times. The pages of lists I have need to be seen to be believed. Anyway, here I am no spoilers, as opinion-filled as ever and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the 150th episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as I look deep into my archives and pick out the books that did and didn't cut it for me. Will your favourites make it onto the good list or are they headed to the bad place? I'm your host Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. As I've already mentioned, putting together this lust took me a figurative eternity. I put books on the list, took them off, added them again, and this was the cycle for more than two days. Every time I thought I had the perfect compilation, another book would spring to mind and that would be it, starting over again. I know in all likelihood the list will change again after I've recorded the episode, but right now, as it stands, this is my list and I'm sort of happy with it. Am I doubtful it's the definitive list? Absolutely. But every day there's the possibility that another book will pop up that's 10 times better than everything else I've read, and that will shunt something else further down. That's why this list may well be my top and bottom five books for the last 12 months, but I did have to include a few honourable mentions because I felt bad that I was actually limiting myself. If I were to include every single book I'd enjoyed, we'd be here until next year. And yeah, I have things to do, as I'm sure do you. Before I start on this list, though, I have to say a massive thank you to everyone who downloads, listens, likes, shares, reviews. And if you haven't yet, then here's a great place to start. Welcome. None of these books are in a particular order because while there are some books I did like more than others, I enjoyed them all for different reasons or didn't, depending on which list they're on. And identifying one that I thought was better or worse than all the others was impossible. Just remember, if I mention a book that you loved in my least favourite or a book you didn't enjoy in my list of my favourites, these are mine. And just because I like them or don't doesn't mean either of us are wrong. 
So let's get started because I seriously could easily babble on about how I went about choosing my favourites and we could sit here chatting forever. No list of mine would be complete or a list of mine for that matter without something mythological. And though I have obviously done a Madeline Miller reread this year, Costanza Cassati's Clytemnestra was definitely in my top five. In fact, it was the only book in my top five every single time I wrote it. So why did I like this book so much? I have long been fascinated with mythology in all its forms, but as has been pointed out a considerable number of times, the stories were all told by male writers, and while the women are included, their lives are somewhat buried underneath the events surrounding the daring do of their male counterparts. I always felt that Clytemnestra and the other women in the stories of the Trojan War were treated incredibly badly. They were basically discarded as irrelevant. Not only are their fates glossed over, but the motivation behind their behaviour is seen as irrelevant. Clytemnestra's backstory is full of trauma. She's a queen beloved by her people, but she is probably best known as the woman who killed her husband Agamemnon, who is subsequently killed by her children. Her legacy is well known, but few telling her story ever considered the earlier tales they had told of her husband's brutality, that he killed her first husband and their son in such a vicious way, tearing her child from her arms and flinging him against a wall. That he slit the throat of their oldest daughter in front of her as a sacrifice to the gods for a strong headwind. Clytemnestra's mythological story is heartbreaking and in this novel, Cassati brings her pain to the page and I felt every single moment of it. The book had me sobbing for a considerable time and through my tears felt actually happy that she sought vengeance for the horrific trials she had to endure at the hands of a man so hungry for power that he never considered anyone else. If you love mythology, I would recommend Clytemnestra to you and believe me, I recommend it a lot. I wouldn't call this a feminist retelling. I would call this a carefully crafted combination of all the stories in which Clytemnestra appears melded together to create a heartbreaking story. To balance the top five, let's take a look at one of my least favourite reads of the year. It's not going to be a shock, especially if you've listened to the episode, but as much as I love cosy crime and cosy mystery, Murder Before Evensong by the Reverend Richard Coles was one of my only one-star reads of the last year. I went into this one with positive thoughts. I love the genre, I had heard good things, and I was prepared to order the second book, but something made me hesitate before pressing that buy button. I was really looking forward to reading it, the idea of a Father Brown-esque setting, a small village where the church is the centre of all the activity and everyone confides in the vicar. Unfortunately, while the murder is gruesome and horrifying, a loud scream in the silent haven, it feels as though the resolution of it and the mystery behind it are somewhat overwhelmed by the general hive of activity. The one thing that I love about most cosy crime novels is that the murder or mystery is central to it. 
you're learning about the characters as they relate to the victim. You find out more about the potential suspects and their possible motives. However, in Murder Before Evensong, all of this is an afterthought as you experience more about the drama surrounding Daniel Clement and his family. Finding out who offed our poor unfortunate victim is not the priority for our erstwhile detective. And the why of it is all so convoluted, I couldn't wait to pass the book on to a friend who was reading it for her book club. In contrast, The Marlowe Murder Club by Robert Thorogood was a sheer joy to read. And this is why it's another on my top five. I loved the characters, the atmosphere, the writing. I know that many people disliked it, feeling that the title similarity was enough to make it a copy of Richard Osman's The Thursday Murder Club. But for me, the title is where the similarities end. While I've not been backwards in saying I did not enjoy Osman's offering, I really enjoyed Thorogood's addition to the cosy mystery genre. But then I guess the fact that his BBC TV offering Death in Paradise is one of the best things on Maiden Dream TV, in my opinion, probably helps to boost that view. His main character, Judith, isn't perfect. And the fact that this elderly character, for she is in her late 70s, is still completely capable and not viewed as anything more than a little eccentric, shows that Thorogood realises this. One of the biggest issues I had with Osman's work was the stereotypical incapability his characters were written with. Also, the friendships that Judith develop, develops with younger and equally unusual women, Bex and Susie, is fun and balanced and real. The next book on my least favourite reads list is actually a sport-focused romantic comedy, which I didn't find romantic or funny. It was Icebreaker by Hannah Grace. This book was being ranked in favourites lists all over Instagram and TikTok at the start of 2023. So I bowed to the I cannot miss out on this pressure and bought it. The cover had enough similarities to books I had enjoyed in the genre earlier on, such as It Happened One Summer by Tessa Bailey. So I shrugged and picked it up. You can always be hopeful, right? I'm not sure if it was a case of this book is too young or I am too old, but I nearly DNF'd it. Anastasia Allen is meant to be this driven and determined ice skater who wants nothing more than to win. She's partnered with this self-centred, gaslighting and mentally abusive jerk who belittles her constantly. But when he's injured, a brusque and focused ice hockey captain, Nate, steps into the fore. Of course, there is unresolved sexual tension for all of about five minutes before the pair fall into bed and he's more invested in the relationship than she is. Anastasia's focus on success is apparently her reason for being unable to commit and sleeping around. Her attitude is generally mean girl and it's this which completely put me off the book. She was a genuinely unlikable character and Nate just came across as a little bit too weak and easily persuaded by the fact that she slept with him and he fell in line very quickly. I didn't enjoy anything about this book, if I'm being honest, and for a long time I hovered between one and two stars when I came to rating it, 
still not sure that I went in the right direction, if I'm honest. Am I cheating a little bit if I group the Aurora Cycle, which is three books, into a single favourite? I'm making the rules, so I'm just going to go with it anyway. I don't care. The Aurora Cycle is a science fiction trilogy written by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff, and it starts with Aurora Rising, which I reviewed a few weeks ago on the podcast. As someone who doesn't often read science fiction, I have a few on my shelf, I just haven't got to them yet. I wasn't sure if I was going to like this, but for some reason, I found that once I finished the first book, I just couldn't stop reading. So I was relieved that I had predicted this could possibly happen and I had already purchased the final two books in the cycle. The entire series follows the story of Ori, or Aurora, a girl lost in time who was rescued from an abandoned spaceship that was meant to be travelling to a new world. She was left in her cryo chamber for over 200 years and when finally rescued discovers that everything she knew, her friends, her family and her world are gone. She is rescued by Tyler and soon they and his misfit crew, Squad 312, are racing against time, a mysterious force and old enemies to save the entire galaxy. Now, if you know me, this is not my usual type of book. And while there were moments when I wanted to throw the book, namely when Ori got too stuck in her own head, something pushed me to continue reading. I finished the entire 1500 pages in less than a week and have continued to recommend it ever since. The characters are very well rounded. The story is put together incredibly carefully and there is no point in any stage in the book where I could see there was a disjoint moment in storytelling so there was a clarity that this was one author writing it and this was another maybe they do it character character separation but I found that the two writers worked together so well that there was no moment where I thought oh I can tell that this is that writer granted it may well be that I don't as I haven't read any of the works written by either writer independently I wouldn't be familiar with their particular style but I just couldn't tell and that for me made it a seamless story but I also liked the way that the the tale continued there were things to lose people did die and I felt for every single character in this yes there were there were people that I wasn't massively keen on and I was happy to not skim read but get through their chapters but I liked the fact that everyone had a perspective and there was a purpose there was an end goal in mind the fact that I was able to read all three in one go is another thing that I enjoyed I'm not sure if I would have come back to the books had I only had the first one but that's another tale entirely conversely a book that I am honestly surprised ended up on my bottom five list is A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J Mass. don't kill me To be fair, this book had been on my currently reading list for almost seven full months. I read A Court of Thorns and Roses back in February and though I found it somewhat dull, I persevered because I was promised that the next book was where it was at. That was that everybody was telling me that 
Farah and Resand were endgame, that I would love the next book, and that the first book was all just set up, so why did they bother with it at all? Me being me, I brought the entire series in one go, because if I liked it, I wouldn't want to have to wait for the next book to arrive. I knew I'd want to keep going. With this promise in mind, I finished Akatar and immediately started A Court of Mist and Fury. After just 300 pages, which to be fair is quite a lot, I put the book down and picked up something else which I can't even remember. I am not sure why, but I just couldn't bring myself to read any more. I know that a lot of you are probably pulling your headphones out right now and looking at them baffled, sure that you're mishearing me, but you're really not. This week, in an effort to have a few quick wins when it comes to reducing my TBR just a tad, I picked up A Court of Mist and Fury again and pushed through the last 300 or so pages. It took me an entire evening and I admittedly kept on pausing, but the promise of the last 200 pages are amazing, it's where everything happens, kept me going. I'm not sure if I missed something or just wasn't in the right frame of mind, but the moment I finished the book, I looked at it and breathed a huge sigh of relief. Do I have the other books in the series? Of course. Am I going to read them? Sorry, I'm going to be unhauling instead. Clearly, they aren't for me, but I know that they are the perfect books for loads of people, and that's truly wonderful. I wish that I had found the same joy in them that they did. I just didn't. And it's for that reason alone, my personal rating on that book is just two stars. The next book on my top five is one that I had mixed feelings about before I read it. For no other reason than the inspiration for it is the story behind my least favourite Disney classic, Pinocchio. Yes, I am the girl who cried the entire way through that film when she went and saw it, and it created such childhood trauma that I still can't watch it to this day. In the Lives of Puppets by T.J. Klune is another book of his that is so beautifully written and evokes such strong emotions that I have actually read it a couple of times since I was lucky enough to get approved by the publishers on NetGalley, along with a lot of others, I am sure. The tale, about a young boy called Victor and his robot companions, Nurse Ratched and Rambo, and his father, Figure Giovanni, is stunning. But all isn't as normal as it seems. Well, as normal as things can be when you share an isolated woodland home with a death-obsessed nurse robot, an affection-starved robot vacuum cleaner, and an android father who is keeping secrets anyway. Things change when Victor discovers another android in the nearby wasteland, Hap, and brings him home. Instead of being seduced into the circus and turned into a donkey because of his misbehaviour, as Pinocchio is in the original tale, Victor finds himself heading towards the dangers of a city where he could be killed, to save his father and to change his destiny. What exactly did I love about this book? Everything that I enjoyed in House on the Cerulean Sea was in this book. Clune has a beautiful way with words. He is able to induce such feelings, encouraging you to quickly care for his characters. 
I found myself laughing and crying at Rambo, the vacuum cleaner. Every time I read this book, I didn't want it to end, but I knew it had to in order to finish the story. The emotional connection I felt with the tale, the characters, and everything they went through had me laughing and crying in turns. And when a book can wring that kind of emotion out of me, it has to be on a good list somewhere. Oh, and the Waterstone Special Edition is gorgeous. Because I want to finish on a high, I am going to give you the last two in my least favourites in a row. And I'm going to apologise now. I have loved Joanna Lindsay's books since the 80s when I first discovered her Mallory series and reread Gentle Rogue so many times that my copy is more than a little bit rough around the edges. And it's for this reason I am so disappointed with the later offerings she produced for that family. Of course, this book is not a new release as Lindsay sadly passed away in 2019. However, Stormy Persuasion was one of the final additions to the Mallory series and every time I think of this book, my eyes roll so badly they actually hurt. For anyone unfamiliar with the series, and that will probably be a lot of you, the Mallory family are wealthy, titled and the pinnacle of London society in the 1800s, though often considered a little bit unconventional. However, money glosses over a lot of things, including the fact that Anthony Mallory was a rake and his younger brother James was, for all a little time, a pirate. One of the first books in the series, Tender Rebel, was the tale of how Anthony met his beloved Rosalyn and they ended up tricking each other into marriage. Stormy Persuasion is the story of their daughter Judith and how she ends up meeting, falling in love with and eventually marrying a rogue with as bad a reputation as the one her uncle James earned while sailing the wild seas with his pirate crew. When I picked up this book this year, I didn't realise that I had not only already read it, but I had rated it two stars, and either I had borrowed it from the library or at some point it had been unhauled. My personal Goodreads review is not very flattering. I'm not sure how much it says that I picked up this book secondhand and when I went to read it and checked on Goodreads I didn't remember it at all. You can definitely tell this is one of her later books. I was once a huge fan and as a collector of series I didn't want my set to be incomplete though I fear the seller did me wrong as I ended up with several large US edition hardbacks to complete my 100% 1980 to 1990 set. So I ended up buying the last few books, which have now started to be delivered. I'm aware, yes, that I am reading these books, again, slightly out of sequence. However, this doesn't change the fact that I found Stormy Persuasion to be repetitive. As I have already mentioned, I am a fan of the Mallory books. I have the first few as first edition UK paperbacks with their Fabio adorned covers, and there is no denying their bodice ripper status. This book fails for me where the earlier books succeeded. If you're a fan of Joanna Lindsay's books, then you will know the history of the family. You will know that George was James's cabin boy, unaware that he knew she was a girl. You will know how Rosalind and Anthony met and ended up together. You'll know of Amy's seduction of Warren. But for some reason, this book felt the need to remind you of all of this and other plots like Danny and Jeremy seemingly on repeat. 
I have to admit I grew tired of the constant brother versus brother-in-law diatribe whenever James and his American brothers-in-law were in the same room, though they did manage to work together after a fashion. Judith was a rather boring and irritating heroine. I was glad that she got her man, though clearly Anthony wasn't because he was a father in denial, but the story wasn't different enough from its predecessors to warrant an entire 300-plus page hardback, to a point it actually felt as though this was just the precursor to Jack's story in Beautiful Tempest. Overall, a disappointment, which makes me sad as I know Joanna Lindsay was nearing the end of a 40-plus year career at this point, and the Mallory Anderson families have, for a long time, been my favourite romantic saga. The final book on my why did I read this list will probably come as no surprise to some at least. Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. This was the second book by TJR that I have read and while The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo had a few things to recommend it, though I still maintain that the secondary plot involving the journalist was both unnecessary and incredibly dull, it was so much better than Daisy Jones. I read this one to talk about it with a fellow book podcaster, Jordan, who hosts the brilliant Books to Last. And when I finished it, was a bit nervous that our opinions were going to be so different that the episode would be one mass of disagreements. Surprisingly, and to my relief, we both found the book and the characters to be rather difficult to get along with. And you can listen to that episode. I'll post the link in the info box. So what didn't I like about this book that has proved so popular? The characters showed no growth. None of them were nice or even had the potential to be nice. They were selfish, self-serving, self-obsessed and just generally awful people. Was this meant to be an indicator of the fact that they had exceptional talent? Perhaps. But I kept on hoping that I was going to find something redeeming about at least one of them. Billy was an all-round selfish person who was so intent on getting his own way that everyone else suffered for it. He fed off them and didn't care who he hurt in order to get what he wanted. Daisy was pretty much the same. She was a mirror almost of him. She was self-indulgent and if something or someone got in her way, she would just ignore it. I think that we were meant to feel sorry for her but I found myself wishing that she would learn from her experiences rather than continually repeat the same mistake over and over. The book kept on promising this incredible payoff, that we were going to learn what finally pushed this group of ill-matched people to get that go their own way. See what I did there? But when this big event finally happened, it completely fell flat. For me, this was no big revelation. It was empty, uneventful, unexciting, a nothing. Apparently, it was inspired by the stories of Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac, but the reality was much more interesting to read, so I recommend you do. And don't get me started on that writing style. It simply was not for me. The final book on my I Loved This Top 5 is Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. Yes, I know that this book will end up on a lot of top five lists for 2023, and it's for good reason. No, the writing style isn't perfect. I'm never going to say it is. And yes, there are lots of things that could have been so much better. But it was a fun book. Fast-paced, interesting characters, a leading man to swoon over, and I say this as an almost 50-year-old woman, 
This is Yaris's first foray into fantasy, having previously written only romance, and it shows. However, she put enough into the world building that I didn't feel lost. I understood the motivation behind the actions of her characters, and though there were moments when I wished Violet, or Violent, as Zayden calls her, just felt too perfect, she also had her faults. There are a lot of things to like about Fourth Wing, and I know I go into them in far more detail in the episode totally focused on that book, but my shortlist is this. No character is safe from death, though there are some I wish would die and others that seriously made me hate Yaros for a moment. If you know, you know. The ending. I am not going to spoil it, but I am going to just say, oh boy. We see true jealousy and resentment on the parts of certain characters. It almost leaps off the pages at some points because it's obvious there is a belief that Violet is experiencing favoritism, which is as about, about as far from the truth as you can get. She does not get treated any better because of who her mother is. In fact, she probably has to watch her back far more. So there you have it, my top five and bottom five for the last nine months. In case you missed it and want to note down a few recommendations, my top five were Clytemnestra by Costanza Casati, The Marlowe Murder Club by Robert Thorogood, The Aurora Cycle, yes, I know it's three books, don't judge, by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff, In the Lives of Puppets by TJ Clune, and Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. My bottom five were Murder Before Evensong by Reverend Richard Coles, Icebreaker by Hannah Grace, A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Mass, Stormy Persuasion by Joanna Lindsay, and Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I do also have a few honourable and dishonourable mentions because my lists seriously got so long and I didn't want to leave anything out, but I did try and restrain myself, I promise. Other books I have really enjoyed and keep on recommending are Yellow Face by R.F. Quang. I never thought I would like a book so much where not one of the characters had a good quality to recommend them. See my feedback on Daisy Jones and the Six for that. But Quang's dissemination of not only publishing, but the horrifying nature of cancel culture on social media was so well written and a fascinating read. Definitely made me think a lot about how people conduct themselves on platforms like Twitter and Instagram. The Adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi by Shannon Chakraborty. I have been recommended books by Chakraborty quite a few times over the last few years, but until earlier this year, I never picked up one. There was something incredible about this story that is steeped in history and about places that I had never heard of and really exist, set me down a little bit of a an atlas and Wikipedia rabbit hole, I have to admit. Amina is a strong character who takes no prisoners, especially where her family is concerned. This blend of history and fantasy with strong characters is beautifully written and I would recommend you give it a go, especially if you enjoy films like Pirates of the Caribbean. Surprisingly, the list of dishonourable mentions isn't that long 
And both of them are actually romantic comedies that I disliked for similar reasons. Falling Hard for the Royal Guard by Megan Clawson was recommended for a while, it seems, by everybody. Whatever platform you went on, there it was. So as with Icebreaker, I decided to give it a shot. It could be fantastic. And if it was, then I would have missed out on something because the title sounded like it was Wattpad fan fiction. Unfortunately, for me at least, it was awful. The characters were selfish, lazy, unappealing and just generally not worth reading about. I'm going to say it now, I suck at DNFing a book. I wish that I didn't have this constant pearl of hope that a book gets better and if I don't finish it, I might be missing out on something amazing. Because if I could just put a book down and ignore it, I would likely save myself a lot of time. Falling Hard for the Royal Guard was cute. But that didn't make up for the fact that the male lead was barely in it and there was nothing at all to recommend the female main character. I know that it sounds strange to rant about certain things, but there was a point in the book where she fell asleep on the job, had a four-hour nap, and seemed almost happy about it as though she was doing them a favour working for them at all. No, just no. Nothing about this book was endearing and nothing about the main character was enjoyable or likeable. The other book was When Gracie Met the Grump. Mariana Zapata has been touted for a while as the queen of the slow burn. I enjoy slow burn when I'm reading a romance. Insta Love is not my favourite, like at all. I enjoy when they have to overcome something or work at it. Apparently, that's what Zapata is good at. However, I don't expect to wait 600 pages to get payoff. This book was 611 pages in length. The characters shared their kiss around page 557 and then nothing else happened until page 600. There's slow burn and then there's this. I am going to give Zapata the benefit of the doubt because people love her, but when Gracie Met the Grump deserves to be on my dishonourable bottom reads of the year list for all of the above. My book buying ban is now well and truly underway. In fact, it's been 17 days and my deliveries have all been for fabric and cat food. Exciting, right? So far this month, I have read a total of seven books on my TBR, so I'm well on the way to reading 20 by the end of November. Fingers crossed. I even put a skip in place on my locked library subscription for October. It does help, though, that the book they seem to be teasing is one that I have no interest in at all. Looking out the window, it appears that autumn is returning. The skies are a dark grey, and though it's not even midday as I record, I am turning the lights on. Granted, that's because it's about to chuck it down outside and the wind has picked up. I think we might even get some thunder. It's the perfect weather to just slip on into a pair of cosy socks, wrap up in a blanket and make a cup of tea before settling on the sofa with a chunky book. So that's what I'm probably going to end up doing for the rest of the day. I'm still building up my book list full of those new releases and upcoming novels that I really want to get when the ban is over and my TBR is just a bit shorter. 
because those shelves are looking a tad empty right now. So if you have any book recommendations, perhaps an author you love or a book you weren't able to put down or even a genre you think I should add to my list, go for it. Email me at beingbookishpod at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and I will be sure to check it out. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk, which I've recently rebranded if you hadn't noticed the new colours. Well, that's it for this week and my 150th episode. I can't believe I've made it. Thank you so much for listening for the last three years. And here's to the next three. Who knows what they will bring? Hopefully loads more good books. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. It seriously helps me to get out there and reach more people. You can follow me on Instagram and threads at beingbookishpod, on TikTok as beingbookishreviews, and on X, which I still refer to as Twitter, as being underscore bookish. Or you can check out my website for the podcast back catalogue and full written spoiler-free book reviews at beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week and another book is calling to me because there are so many to choose from. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.